Um, but before we get too far, I want to I stop and I want to just uh, publicly say thanks to Mark Johnson. Um, everybody wave at Mark because it really embarrasses him. Um, but Mark, Mark filled in for, for me last week. Carrie and I were out of town, and, and uh, it, it's great to be at a church where we have elders that, that are, are willing and um, able um, to, to fill in and, and preach the word and do those things. And so I, I appreciate that very much. Uh, gave Carrie and I a chance to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And so some of you were thinking, 15 years, how did she do it? <laughs> Others of you were thinking, yeah, what's the big deal? Um, but I mean, it is what it is. That's where we are. So uh, 15 year wedding anniversary. And I bet if you asked Carrie about our 15 years, you said, hey, what's the most difficult thing that you and Matt have had to navigate? She would have a lot of answers about navigating life with me. But I would be willing to bet that, that at the top or close to the top of her list would be co-parenting. That that's one of the things that couples typically have the most difficulty with. In fact, if you ask married couples, I did counseling for a long time, marriage, family, premarital, all that stuff, kind of counseling, and, and, and it typically comes down to three things. We've talked about this before. Uh, that couples struggle with, and it's, it's, it's money, it's sex, and it's kids. Those are the three things that couples argue and strike uh, uh, or strive for, this, this, this balance that they, they struggle with in their families. It, it is what it is. Those are the three things that are always at the top of the list, and, and it's difficult with kids. And one of the reasons it's so difficult with kids is because there's so much at stake. We've talked about this time and time again during this series, that our goal in this series is to raise kids who love Jesus more than they love anything else. Regardless of whatever else we accomplish as parents, if we nail that, then we've left a legacy that is awesome. And so this is critical that we figure this out as parents. And so we continue in our series, but we have to take a look at how, as a couple, this works. Okay. Uh, and it gets hard, and I want to tell you, I get that it gets hard. It gets hard because in case you didn't know, I want to drill, uh, hear me on this. This is important. If you didn't know it, I'm sorry. Somebody should have told you. Men and women see and hear things differently. We just do. We see and hear things differently. Uh, if you've ever read the book, Love and Respect, uh, Emerson Egrich, uh, if, you, if you've had premarital counseling with me, you've read it. Um, if you've had couples counseling with me, you've read it. Um, it is, it's just one of the, uh, the quintessential reads when it comes to understanding how this works in marriage. But he makes the point that um, women, you guys, hear things with those um, pretty pink hearing aids in. And you see things through those pretty pink lenses. Because that's how God wired you. God wired you to be nurturing. God wired you to be more compassionate. God wired you to be more giving perhaps to be a little bit more caring. God wired you those ways. It's part of how you are made in his image. It's part of what makes you an exceptional wife. It's part of what makes you an exceptional mother. If you have children, you're wired that way. Men, we aren't. We got those blue hearing aids in. We got those blue lenses. We, we, we tend to operate in, in more of um, firm cause and effect, more black and white kinds of thinking. We, we tend to think in terms of absolutes. We tend to think in terms of um, problems that need to be fixed, things that need to be tackled, things that need to be addressed head on. We do that because 
That's the way God wired us as men. That's what makes us good husbands. It's what makes us good fathers. But you, you can see that in a sinful, broken world, where men and women now strive for each other, and our desire is for those positions, and we see that culturally, don't we? we see that all the time, but, but we can see where the tension comes in, where we don't see things the same way, we don't do things the same way, and when it comes to kids, then we're not always unified. And I can tell you that the problem with that is that what happens is that when we aren't together in parenting, okay, that we end up maybe doing a little bit more harm than good. Our goal, remember, is to be discipling our kids in honor and obedience, teaching them submission, teaching them to love Jesus more than they love anything else. And when we're not unified as parents, we're not accomplishing our primary task. We're making it more difficult, okay? But this is critical, so we'll deal with these roles today and, and how they differ a little bit and, and, and how they come together and who God wants us to be. And we've alluded to this a couple of times in the series, but we're going to drill down on it today a little bit. But there's something to, to understand and know ahead of time, and it's just simply this. Look, kids are designed uh, to be launched. Wait for it. That's the one. Kids are designed to be launched. We don't want them around forever. I mean, we want them around at their own places, doing their own thing, and we, we want them, but not the same way we had them when they were little, right? Kids are designed to be lost. When you're married, you're striving for this interdependence. Your goal in marriage is to grow closer together, to, to continue to be um, unified in, in, in um, your soul to, to have your. We talked about this during our last marriage series to to have this this um, mingling of the souls to have this unification of spirit, this oneness of flesh and, and mind and heart and spirit. That's your goal in marriage. It is not your goal in parenting. We raise those kids to be independent, to think critically, to love Jesus, and then get out in the world and do it. Okay. This is part of what we're trying to accomplish in this process, okay? And so let's take a look at how this works today. I want to tell you uh, as, we, as we drill down on mom roles and we drill down on dad roles that some of you here this morning are in a ridiculously awkward position. And I recognize that. And I want to give you some honor for that, okay? And I understand. I can't fix it for you, okay? I can't change what God says about how moms and dads work together in a marriage relationship um, to parent and bring kids to the point where they love Jesus more than they love anything else. I can't change that. That's what the Bible says. And if you're here this morning as a single parent, either because you've been widowed or because of a divorce or for whatever reason, I get that, that this morning that you're kind of behind the eight ball on this, and I want to acknowledge that. I want to tell you that that's where the church stands in the gap with you. It's where your parents can stand in the gap with you. Okay? But that doesn't change what God's word says about this. So jump right in. Proverbs 31, 26. Here's, here's what Proverbs, this book of wisdom, says about moms. Okay? It says, when she speaks, her words, are, excuse me, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. Okay? Now I'll repeat that again in case some of you moms need to hear that part. 
her instructions with kindness, right? Listen, moms, your role is to pour wisdom into your children. That's your role. And frankly, some of you are thinking, okay, but my kids are gone out of the house. Your role never ends. So moms of adult children, grandparents, or even if you never had children, I guarantee you that there's some younger woman that you are important in the life of. There's just some younger women that you are important in the life of. And so here's the role you have. You are to speak kindness, you are to speak wisdom, and you are to do it uh, with the right spirit. Moms, I need to challenge you here for a second. Hear me. There are far too many of you that try to speak wisdom to your children without knowing wisdom. Allow me to be blunt. You don't really have to allow me. I have the microphone. So brace yourselves while I am blunt. What do you think you're telling them if you're not telling them wisdom that comes from this book? What kind of advice do you think you are pouring into your children if you are pouring advice into your children that does not come from this book? I mean, what do you really think that you're all about when you give, even if it's great worldly sounding advice? Remember we talked a couple weeks ago. Man, there are really smart sounding wrong people out there. And they sound religious and things seem to go well for them. And so we say, okay, they must know what they're talking about. But what are you pouring into your kids if it's wisdom that's not coming from God's word? This is the epitome of wisdom. You can't possibly be fulfilling your role. Listen, I, this is harsh. Don't worry, I'll say the same thing to your husbands in a minute, to dads, and, and, and that means I'm saying it to myself too, so I'm not off the hook either, but what do you possibly expect to be pouring into your, how do you expect to be raising your children to love Jesus more than they love anything else? How do you expect to be leaving a godly legacy? How do you expect your children to be with you in eternity? if you continue to pour into them things that aren't rooted in this book. And it's twofold, right? Some of you expect your children to grow up to love Jesus more than they love anything else, except your behavior doesn't look like somebody that loves Jesus more than they love anything else. You're like, listen to me, I've got all this wisdom I want to pour out on you. I've got all this truth that I need you to know, and I want to raise you up so that you love Jesus. Just don't look at the way I live my life. Don't look at who I have sex with. Don't look at what kinds of things I watch on TV. Don't look at what I say. Don't pay attention to what we do or don't do on Sunday mornings. Just don't worry about that stuff. Just, hey, remember God loves you and he wants good for you and you need to trust him. Right? How do I expect, if I'm not willing to live the wisdom in this book and I'm not willing to be immersed in the wisdom of this book, how do I expect to raise up my children with words that are wise in gentleness and instruction if I'm not going to be immersed in this book. There's no way. You know what I love to see? Um, you, you, you know this. We've talked about this before. I'm on Facebook. Some of you are thinking, 
big deal. It is for me. Okay? That was a New Year's resolution that I was more than willing to ignore, and then Carrie signed me up. And now I'm on Facebook, and because of that, my political views have been changed time and time. That's not true. <laughs> I, I made that part up. But, but because of that, there are certain things I get to see. And you know what? I was so encouraged, um, just randomly, because on Friday night, Friday night, people are posting some things because um, that's what cool people do. Um, they post on Facebook. Um, and, and so I see, you know, a couple of the women in our church um, who, you know, are posting the, the, the picture. You got the kids playing or you got people doing things and you got their Bible open and they're doing their study. And some of them are connected to some of the small groups that we have going. Some of them are just their own personal study time. But we see these things happening. And you know what? It's encouraging because that, what, I, what I see there is I see mothers who want to speak words that are wise and give instruction with kindness, and I can feel confident that the words that they're speaking and the instruction that they're giving is right because it's rooted in Scripture. If it's not, we got to be careful. If you are parenting adult children or adult grandchildren who have kids of their own, who are outside of the faith, who aren't living life the way that they need to. If that, I mean, I want to be really, really honest with you here. Um, you need to be in the Word even more. You've heard me talk about my brother. I'll share. Mike is outside of the faith. He just is. I mean, he, that's not something he would argue. There's no desire for the faith. He has no desire to be involved in it. My parents are Christians, okay? For them to speak wisdom into his life and therefore into the life of their grandchildren, they need to be in this book even more. My mother needs to immerse herself in the scriptures even more now because not only is she trying to raise up children that are under her roof, She's trying to raise up children that are free and out in the world and grandchildren that are not under her roof. She's trying to speak wisdom with kindness and love and instruction into their hearts. Guys, we can't do this if we're not here, okay? So we're gonna, we're gonna move forward here uh, quickly. You need to be in the word. And, and when you're in the word, here's, moms, this is something that happens. When you're in the word and you're in the word with your children, and you're sharing biblical truth with them, there are things that they see, uh, more so from dads, okay? There's things they get from dads, there's things they get from moms, and they can get it from both, but this is just by and large the way it is, things they get. And one of the things they get is they get information about who they are. And a lot of who kids think they are comes from who you see them as and who they think you see them as. That's just the reality. And so as you read scripture together, there's things. And as you grow in your own wisdom and you share God's truth and you see things, there's things that you can be communicating to your children, things they need to know. Who what, what their identity is. Who are they? One of the things, my kids, they both still love this. Riley misses out because we weren't with Riley when she was a baby. We didn't get her till later, but, but Travis, um, to a lesser degree, but Aubrey still quite a bit, they, they, they love to hear stories about when they were babies, right? I mean, I, 
They love to hear stories about when they were babies. They love to hear stories about what they were like when they were little, about their identity, about who they are naturally. That's what they, and you know what? Here's the deal. They don't want to hear those from me. They love to hear those from Carrie. They love to hear about who she is. What's their identity? And you know, she can share with them who they are and how we prayed for them and how, how, how God has blessed them and how God has, has touched them and nurtured them and, and what their identity is and what their character is, who God calls them to be. Moms, a lot of this they get from you. Who is God calling your kids to be? What kind of a person are they supposed to be? What's their character supposed to be? How will they understand that if it doesn't come from Scripture, if you're not modeling it? Remember, a lot of being a Christian it, it, it is caught. It's not taught. I mean, you can lecture Christianity to your children, but if it works, it's because they, they catch it in you. They see it. Not that you've just poured knowledge into their head. Their purpose, relationships. People are worth it. People are hard, but they're worth it. We show honor, respect. Remember, what we're trying to do is grow them up so that they can love Jesus. And there's another one here that we need to look at. Proverbs, quickly, 29, a couple of texts. A discipline, to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Mom, some of you in the grocery store, you know that. You get that feeling, right? Right? Like, some of you are like, man, I get that feeling at church. We've all been there. Okay, we, we all get it. But here's the deal. To, to discipline a child produces wisdom, wisdom rooted in scripture, wisdom of God, wisdom about honor, obedience, and submission to the God of the universe, but uh, we're disgraced by an undisciplined child. There's a key truth in that text. That key truth is this. Moms, discipline belongs to you also. Some of you have fallen into this trap, especially if, and, and, and you know what? It's not always the case, and so I, I don't mean to overgeneralize, but especially if you're stay-at-home moms. Stay-at-home moms um, tend to fall into this trap of, well, you know, dad's the heavy, and he'll come home. Just wait till dad gets home. Are you sure you want to make that choice? You sure you want to act like that? Because dad's coming home. You can tell I had this conversation with my mom a lot. The problem is, what's well, unfair to everybody? It's not scriptural, it's not biblical, and, and, and it's just unfair. We read that, that moms, you are to have a part in the discipline of a child. You're to, to play your role in the discipline of a child. It's unfair to moms because, um, well, they have no recourse. When moms don't discipline, there's no recourse for negative behavior, except to get loud and to get angry. And we know loud angry doesn't work because we're trying to pour wisdom with kindness. It's unfair for, for dads because they always have to be the guy. They, they always have to be the one to come in, and the first thing they get to do when they walk through the door is discipline. The first thing they do when they walk through the door is they have to weed through the reports of behavior to decide, do I get to be nice dad tonight or do I get to be hard dad tonight? It's unfair. It's unfair to kids because they're not properly learning what honor and respect and submission look like. They're not properly learning what honor, respect, and submission look like. And remember what our goal is, to raise kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else. So discipline your children. 
and you'll have peace of mind. Uh, a couple other things that we learn uh, in Proverbs 29, and, and we're going to go pretty quickly through a couple of these here, but um, get this. Healthy Christian homes do not center around their children. Some of you need to read that again. Healthy Christian homes do not center around your children. Your children are not the center of the universe. God is. Part of what we have to understand is that when we organize our homes so that they revolve around our children is that it puts our children in this weird position of authority. It puts this, the children in this weird position of being supreme in the family. And, and that's not the way it's intended to be. It doesn't help them learn to grow in honor and obedience. It doesn't help them learn. And dads, we do this sometimes. Dads, we typically do this with sports. I typically do this with sports. If I'm, if I'm in a position to elevate my kids to the center of the family, it's typically because it's some things that I like, right? I like baseball. So I can make our family revolve around Travis's baseball schedule all summer. I can put him in the, say, you want, you want to go hit? Let's go hit. You want to have practice? Let's have practice. What? Yeah, of course we'll, we'll, we'll put, you know, our, our family stuff on hold because we've got tournaments every weekend and we can do, we, we, we put him in the middle. Moms, you typically do that in every way. I mean, that's, as dads, we do that in those things. It's like, we like that, so then we'll allow that because it's something we can connect with. But moms, it's, and it's, not, it's part of the way that God's wired. You remember, you're wired to be more nurturing. You're wired to be more gentle. You're wired to have more of that connection. And so part of what we do, moms, is we see that, and, and we kind of just go with it, right? We want our kids to be happy. We want them to have what they want. We want them to be nurtured. We want them to experience things. We don't want them to be left out. And so we, we tend to put them in this role. But if we read through Proverbs 29, it's going to tell us, no, your kids can't be in that role. Moms and dads have to be in that role. Healthy Christian families do not let their kids be at the center. It just doesn't work. And, and listen, we're going to get to Ephesians 5 briefly. And, and one of the things that we see is that when you put your children um, in the center of the family, moms, I need you to hear me on this because this has caused more grief than you would realize as I've sat down with couples to do counseling. When you put your children at the center of the family, and when you insist that your husband respect and honor that, what you're doing is you're telling your husband that the kids are in his role. Biblically speaking, we understand that husbands are the head of the family. Okay, we'll get to this. There's equal submission and respect and reverence. Okay, so don't, don't focus on hierarchy right now. Don't do that, but just hear this. Okay, that what happens is the Bible tells us, God tells us clearly that husbands are the head of the home the way that Christ is the head of the church. When we put our children at the head of the home, it doesn't work. And there's tension, and there's frustration, and there's irritation, and there's fighting, and there's pushback, and things don't happen the way they're supposed to happen. Healthy Christian homes do not have children at the center. They have the parents at the center. Of course, reflecting God in the center. 
It's something we all need to understand, especially in this culture that we live in, where um, it's go, 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 and we don't want our kids to miss out on a single thing, and we want our kids to have the best of everything, and so we sacrifice all of these things, and we do all these things, but it, it doesn't work. It's not natural. Okay? Dads, you're not off the hook. Let's talk about this here briefly. There's a couple things you need to know. Ephesians 6.4 says this. We've read this before. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is something that we have to be very careful about, dads. You can get your kids to obey by crushing their will or you can encourage honor and obedience by treating them with gentleness. Okay, and that's what I read here. I said, bring them up um, in discipline and instruction, but don't provoke them to anger. Don't quash their spirit. Don't shut them down. But instead, come alongside. Where do you suppose that wisdom comes from? I mean, I'm told here in Ephesians 6, 4, that I'm going to bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from where? It comes from the Lord. Now, if you did not know this about me, I will tell you, God and I are tight. We hang out a lot. Jesus and I are tight. We talk daily. But if I'm raising my children up in discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord, God has never called me on the phone and said to me, Matt, here's what you need to tell Travis in this moment. Right? I, I've never gotten a text message that says, hey, bro, in case you were wondering, here's what Riley needs to hear from you. Right? No Skype call has ever come across my laptop that said, hey, Matt, you know this really hard thing that Aubrey's dealing with? Encourage her this way. God and I are tight, but, but that's not how it works. It comes from here. Dads. I mean, if I asked you, you're here in church today, which I assume means that you um, are, are hoping to love and honor God. If I were to ask you, when was the last time you cracked this open and read it? on your own? When was the last time that you opened this up and you, you thought about what God has to say about the instruction and nurture and discipline that God has poured into this word for your life and for the life of your children? For some of you, the answer would be embarrassing. And I'm, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm not, well, see, that's a lie. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But, but I need you to be encouraged and to know, listen to me, it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. I mean, I, I'm supposed to have more eloquent words to say and some kind of pithy thing that you... It's just not good enough. Men were better than that aren't we? We can't expect to lead our children, our wives, our children to love Jesus more than they love anything else 
if we're not willing to love Jesus more than we love anything else. We've talked about that so much in this series. It's not good enough. You have to. Okay? Take a look at 1 Peter. Here's what it says. Care for the flock. This is talking to men. Care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Okay? This is, this is a statement, okay, to men about the church, okay? But we already know that just as, as Christ is head of the church, men, you're head of your families. This is, it's, it's, it's easily transferable. This is something you need to understand here. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Men, that is your family. Listen to me. Understand this. Husbands, fathers, you are responsible to God for your family. I don't care what you're going to say next. What excuse you have, what yeah, but you have, what little thing that you might want to twist there. No, you are responsible to God for your family. And you're going to say to me, but Matt, I didn't sign up for that. And I'm going to say, yes, you did. Whether you knew it or not, it's what you picked. You are responsible for your family. You answer to God for your family. You answer to God for your family the same way that I and the elders answer to God for you here in this church. Do you know that we agonize over you as elders? We love you. We pray for you. We hurt over you. As elders. And ultimately, we're going to answer to God for you. That's why you don't become an elder lightly. There's a lot at stake. But also why there's no thing like it when God gives you that call in your heart. But listen, men, that is your job. You need to get over yourselves and you need to understand that this is what you have as a responsibility. You answer to God for your wife and your children. You just do. And you know what? Here's the thing that, that, we, that we read about in 1 Peter 5, 2, and 3. That isn't a bad thing. That that shouldn't it shouldn't hurt you. Look at this. It says, not grudgingly, but willingly. Why? Because you love them. Because you're eager to serve God. When you serve your family well, that's serving God. Sometimes, fellas, the manliest thing you're going to do sit down and watch Angelina Ballerina. I know, I hear myself saying it. Sometimes, right? And I'm going to date myself here. I don't know what they are now. But sometimes figuring out Blue's Clues, that's the thing. What's the mystery mouse couture? I don't know. You come home. You don't turn on the TV and check out. You stay 
plugged in with your family because um, even though it's been a long, exhausting day, that's, that's how you lead your family. You get up early and you pray over your family because it's, it's how you lead your family. You, you open up the Bible and you share it because that's how you lead your family. You know what? Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know what? Sure. You know what? Monopoly sounds awesome tonight. When you and I both know. Monopoly hasn't sounded awesome since you were 13. Sometimes some of the best things I do are some of the things that I would never think. You know what? That's what being a man is. But it just is. You know, I'm encouraged. I want to hear sometime from some of you. Some of you men are in the small group um, that, is, um, that is talking about God and learning about manly characteristics as you talk about guns and weaponry also. Um, and I'm curious sometimes. I want to know from some of you what you've learned about um, what real manly godliness looks like because I have a feeling it's different sometimes than we think it is. Okay, but here we're told... No, 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 it's to protect. It's to watch over. It's to guard the flock. It's to care. You know what? I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I was not always good at this. And sometimes I'm still not great at it. I've gotten better. But there were times when I didn't protect my family. Whether it was from TV shows or things that we shouldn't have allowed, whether it was friends that we should have put aside, whether it was friends that I should have put aside, whether it was family <laughs> um, bad-mouthing Carrie and making her feel this big. That's not always been my thing, okay? But listen, when we're here, and we grow, and we trust God with what's in here, okay, we start to understand what, what godliness looks like. And men, you're, you're thinking to yourselves now probably that, you know, man, I was done with the ladies quick, that I just told them to read the Bible, and then we moved on. Here's the problem. I've never been a woman, so I don't, I, I, I don't know exactly what you go through there, and there are all kinds of things, but men, I know what we go through, and I know it's hard. But you cannot raise children that love Jesus more than they love anything else if you are not willing to sacrificially love your family. Okay, quickly, we'll talk both together here, Ephesians 5, 21 and 33. And here's what it says. And further, this is Paul talking. And you know what? We're not going to get into this text a whole lot because we've done marriage series in the past. We've done some of these things in the past. And, and we just finished up a series not so long ago, just a few months ago, on, on uh, dating, love, marriage, and sex. And so you can go back and listen online if you want to do that and catch up with some things. But real quick, here's what we need to understand about this. Um, here's what Paul says. Further, this is verse 21. And further, okay, submit, this is talking to husbands and wife, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
and then we skip all the way down to 33 at the end of this chunk of scripture, and he's going to say it again. He'll say it differently, but it's reiterating the same point. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. We're told earlier that that means the way that Christ loves the church, and the wife must respect her husband. And so simply, this, this is what I'll say about this, and again, you can find out more um, about this. But listen, the issue for you is wrong when you focus on hierarchy. The issue for you is right when we understand that what God calls us to do in marriage so that we can be unified. What God calls us to do in marriage is to submit to one another. That submission looks different. The submission looks different, but we're called to submit to one another in a marriage relationship. Why? Because it reflects what we do with God and it puts us in the center of the family and that helps disciple our children in honor and obedience, and it helps them love Jesus more than they love anything else when they leave our house. Guys, this all works together. This is critical, okay? We live in a world that's going to tell you, you don't need two parents for this. We're going to live in a world that says, you don't, you don't need moms and dads. That really, it, you could just, you know, put it all in a pile and pull out whatever pieces, and what you get, you get. But the reality is, God's clear. This takes both. And for this to work right, we submit to one another, not because I'm awesome. Carrie submits to me well. And I promise you, it's not because I'm the best guy ever. I try hard. Usually. But Carrie submits to me because that's what God tells her to do. And it's out of reverence for God that she submits to me. And I submit to Carrie. Yes, because she's worth it. But I submit to Carrie out of reverence for God because that's what he tells me to do. That's the way this works. And that submission looks different. Okay? We, you know, again, we've talked about this before. We don't need to dwell on it. But um, what, what wives crave and what husbands crave isn't always exactly the same thing, love and respect and what that looks like. And, and, and if you're in your marriage relationship, if you're having some difficulties with that, you come talk to me. I've got some resources that you can use, some things that will help, or, or we'll sit down and we'll have some conversations together and, and kind of work through that. But th the reality here is that what we're called to do is submit to one another. And the reason that's important when we talk about parenting is this. When you as a married couple, love, respect, and submit to one another. What happens in that moment, and I'm not overstating this, so, so track with me here and you can ask more if you need to, but what happens in that moment is you are, to the best of your ability, you are reflecting the character of God. See, men with their blue hearing aids and their blue tinted glasses are made perfectly in the image of God. Women, with your pink hearing aids and your pink glasses, you, you are made in the image of God. When we are together, unified together, growing together, praising God together, worshiping the Lord together, submitting to Jesus together, when we are together, loving and respecting, unified in a marriage, we have all of the image of God come together the way that it's intended to. And we are clearly reflecting the image of God to our children and to those around us. This is critical when we want to raise kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else.
It's necessary. Okay, really quick. I do want to address um, kind of the elephant in the room. And that's those of you that are single parents and you're thinking, okay, um, that's all fine and good, Hans, but what am I supposed to do about it? I can't fix the fact that I'm a single parent now. No, I don't suppose that you can. Okay, so there are some things for you. Um, God is for you. The church is with you. You are not on your own in this. Let's just do this quickly. A couple of tips. Um, These are things. One, your kids are not a replacement for a spouse. Don't make your kids a replacement for your spouse. As soon as you elevate your kids to friend, buddy level, okay, as soon as you do that, it makes them the center of the family. It's hard to learn how to love, respect, and submit when you're at the center of everything, okay? It's, it's problematic. Um, give yourself some grace for past mistakes. I've talked to far too many of you single folks, you, you single parents, who um, continually beat yourself up on a daily basis for mistakes that you've made. Confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness. Roll up your sleeves. Put on your big boy pants. And then deal. But don't wallow. Give yourself grace. God does. Confess it. Give yourself grace. Um, don't just gravitate towards other single parents. If you're a single parent, there's, there's this thing that we like to do where it's like we like to hang out with other single parents because they know what we're going through. Don't make that mistake. Okay? You need people to pour into your life. Um, don't allow guilt to make you abdicate discipline. I've counseled many, 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 many um, single parents that have children that are now 10, 11, 12, 13, even teenagers, and, and they wonder why these kids won't listen. Why? Well, because a long time ago, because guilt over being a single parent and guilt over things not being the way we wanted them to be, we abdicated the responsibility of discipline. We said, well, we're not going to discipline because, well, I know why you're acting out. I know why you're hurt. It doesn't work. I mean, I, I'm glad that you know and I'm glad you get it, but it doesn't work, right? And here's one we miss. It's okay to acknowledge for your kids that something is missing. If you're a single dad, it's okay to acknowledge for your kids that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. If you're a single mom, it's okay to let them know. First of all, they already know. But actually, that's getting to be less and less in this world, isn't it? By and large, statistically, um, it is not uncommon for children to be in single-parent homes and to have parents that are divorced. In fact, it's becoming less and less common for children to be raised in an intact family unit. But it's okay. Acknowledge for them that something's missing. But then don't forget this next part. You trust and you help them trust that God will fill in the gap. That God is sufficient. Get support, trust the church, and and, and maintain real expectations of yourself. I talked with a single person not so long ago who has, oh, I think four kiddos, and um, their friends were going to Disney. And she had trouble buying Happy Meals. And so 
the expectation that she had for herself was unrealistic. Keep real expectations. Okay? James 127 Church, you're here, you're not a single parent, you're like, okay, well, that was um, nice for them, but kind of worthless for me. No, mm-mm, back up the truck. Here's what true religion looks like. Here's what real faith looks like. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Orphans and widows, um, at the time this was written, we, we could easily plug in and still be true to James's intention and his heart is the fatherless or the motherless or the single parent. Church, you're not off the hook. You know how I keep saying, as we talk about single parents, trust the church, lean into the church. The church can stand in the gap for you. Guess what? You are the church. When I say the church, I'm not saying, hey, listen, I will be happy to do everything that will ever... I can't do that. You're the church. This is your role. Stand in the gap. Okay? A couple things you can do. This is a list. This is a list for single parents or from single parents to the church. Okay? Um, This is a list from single parents to the church. When the question was asked, what is it you need from the church? This is the list. Um, These are the most common things that single parents said when the church, if the church would do this or when the church does this, we are supported and, and we're able to carry on in this. One, pray. Pray for single parents. Help with house needs, okay? Depending on what the relationship is, um, you know what? We may not have the ability or the skill set to do some of those things that, we, that used to be done around the house. Um, now, at our house, none of us have that ability now. <laughs> so if I passed away, Carrie would still be in the same predicament. We'd have to hire out. That's what we always do when something goes wrong. But for, for some people, it's like we're, we're, all of this stuff used to just get taken care of. Now, all of a sudden, there's a need. Okay? That's an extra pressure thing on top of raising a single child that's hard. Help with those things. Mentor and love our children. Mentor and love children. Children without moms? I mean, dads are great, but they need women to love and mentor and care for them. Children without dads? They need men to come alongside them and show them what manly behavior looks like. Godly manly behavior. Provide with breaks. I come home at the end of the day and I am fried. I have a partner that says, you know what? I got this. I come home at the end of the day and Carrie is fried. She has a partner that can say, I've got this. Single parents don't have that. Provide some breaks. This is what they're saying they could use. Allow them to be part of your family, your life. Join us for dinner. Be together. You don't have to be isolated. Give them adult connection. Remember how I said earlier, you can't make kids the center. You can't have your kids be a replacement for your spouse. Well, then we can step alongside. I'm going to give you a word of caution here that I don't feel like you need because you look like a smart group, and and I know you, and I love you, and I know that you're a bright group. Um, But if it's a single mom, guys, that's your wife's job. Single dad, you know, ladies, that's your, that's your husband's job, okay? Don't, just, see, what's the best, most, don't be dumb. Don't be dumb, okay? 
um, and, and be generous. Just be generous. Time, effort, energy, resources, whatever it takes, be generous where it's necessary, and don't judge. That's not on the list, but it should be. Don't judge. It's not yours, and it's not helpful. I'm going to ask you this question. This is normally the time we'd have the praise team come up and close us out. We're running a little bit late because of the baptisms. And so we're just going to stop here. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray about this with me. Be challenged by this question with me. And for some of you, your answer is, I'm nailing it. I'm living out the gospel every second of every day. I'm living it out when I go to work. I'm living it out when I parent my children. I'm living it out when I am driving to work in the car. I'm living it out when I coach baseball or soccer or football or lacrosse. I assume people coach lacrosse. Maybe your answer is I'm nailing it. But if your answer isn't I'm nailing it, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take a good, solid look in the mirror and figure out where it is that you need to live the gospel better. What it would look like if you did. And, and frankly, as Mike prayed earlier, we don't need to be smarter sinners. We need to put it into practice. If you're not sure what that step is, come talk to somebody. If you're not sure um, what to do next, let's have the conversation. But listen, okay? We can't raise kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else if we aren't living out the gospel. And if we're not living out the gospel, then there's always room to move and there's always room to grow. Pray with me. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We, we thank you for being the perfect parent. We thank you for, for uh, just um, your, the way that you love us, the way that you don't give up on us, the unconditional nature of the relationship that you have with us. We thank you for the fact that you don't let us get away with sin, but that you provide us a way out of sin. We thank you for the fact that, that the consequences are real, but we also thank you for the fact that you have paid for them in the most ridiculous, unbelievable way possible through the life of your son. We thank you for the truth that you love us that much. God, we ask you to help us as we try to live out the gospel daily. Um, all of us, no matter who we are, where we are, what stage of life we are, but Father, especially this morning, if we've got kids that we're trying to shape and grow, we ask for grace and we ask for wisdom. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.